Hey podcast listeners, this is Kobe from the Common Thread Podcast. Uh, what you're about to hear is the third part in our Confucianism series. Uh, it's the second half of the interview with Dr. Bin Song, and it focuses primarily on Confucian spirituality and metaphysics, what it means to understand Confucianism as a religion, as a spiritual system. The beginning of this tape here uh, we're going to play is, is Dr. Bin Song responding to um, a point and a question that uh, Matthias sets forth, which is uh, basically that that Western metaphysical systems are uh, almost always uh, uh, anthropomorphic, and um, that in Dr. Bin Song's writing, you gather uh, Matthias gathers that there is a sort of neutral stance um, towards the world. Uh, in, in within Confucianism and within Confucian metaphysics. So uh, we'll kick it off right there. Um, we hope you enjoy this episode and the last part of Confucianism, uh, our Confucianism series. Uh, we really uh, we really enjoyed doing it. Uh, so thanks, and uh, we'll keep looking for the common thread. I think uh, one big misunderstanding uh, of normal readers of Confucianism is uh, it is more powerful in ethics, less powerful on metaphysics. The major misunderstanding derives from their beginning approach uh, to to read the Confucian text. Like you, you know, you bring a copy of Analex. Usually, people learn Confucianism beginning from Analex, and uh, if you learn Taoism, that's usually Dao De Jing. Yeah, Lao Tzu Dao De Jing. Uh, if you open these two books, the first verse of Dao De Jing is very metaphysical. It's very mystical. You know, the genuine Dao cannot be spoken out. That's the verse. But if you open the analex, the first verse is just so ordinary. It's just ordinary conversation, right? Uh, learn and then timely practice your learning. Is that enjoyable? You know, this kind of words is uh, from Confucius. So people people have a kind of like stereotypic image of Confucianism as an ethical system, and Taoism is kind of like a very strong metaphysical system. But this is. Uh, for me, it's totally wrong, totally wrong. Confucianism has a very strong metaphysical system. And in the late age of Confucius, when he reaches the 70s, according to the history books, uh, people say uh, Confucius is so dedicated to the learning of Zhou Yi, the book of changes, uh, so that the threat to bind the Zhou Yi book is broken for th- three times. That means Confucius every day just hold the same book, tries to ponder it, ponder it. And Zhou Yi is a highly sophisticated metaphysical books. So actually, in the the the, entire, the most important Confucian text, are three canonical texts. Uh, one of them is is Zhou Yi. So Confucian is very strong metaphysics. So in order to uh, address your question, we must t- uh, take this for granted. The Confucian worldview is holistic. It addresses both the cosmos and human society. But there's a distinctive way for Confucianism to address this two-dimensional metaphysics. On the one hand, Confucian understanding of the cosmos is naturalistic. That means everything happens naturally. When Chinese said it's natural, it means zhuran. means self-soul. Self, so so the entire cosmos evolves by itself. There's some novelty continue to be created, but this creative novelty happens spontaneously. There's no creator standing behind the scene 
try to navigate, try to control, try to put values or purpose. No, the entire cosmos is naturalistic. So the Confucian idea is Tian. That's one dimension. That's the basic uh, tenets for Confucianists to address the natural cosmic dimension metaphysics. But on the other hand, although the uh, the cosmos is natural, but the cosmos has a value. One big division in the Western metaphysics is facts and value, especially after modern time, right? Science just takes away the facts and humanities takes away the value. But no, Confucianism say the, the cosmos is natural, everything happens spontaneously, but everything has its intrinsic value. What is its value? It's called the Li, pattern principle. Everything has its pattern principle. What do I mean by pattern principle? If two things can coexist with each other, their relationship is harmonious and they keep changing. So the way two things dynamically and harmoniously exist together, the way is called Li, right? So everything has its Li, then everything has its value. This, so that's the two basic tenets for Confucian metaphysics in the natural level cosmic level. Cosmic, cosmos is natural and the cosmos is valuable. So on the other hand, uh, in the human side, the basic uh, tendency for Confucianism is humanism. You know, uh, yes, the cosmos is neutral, but the cosmos has value. Human society, human beings also have their intrinsic value to manifest. They must manifest the same Li of the entire cosmos in human society. So there's a cosmically and there's a humanly. And what is humanly? Humanly is the way human beings can treat each other well, as well as in the cosmic level. The Tian, the cosmos, can treat everything well. That means if you can dynamically and harmoniously coexist with each other, no matter what race, no matter what faith, no matter what cultural background we come together, you know, we follow the Li in human society. Right? So these two big tenets, naturalism and humanism, defines Confucian metaphysics. And this metaphysics really holistic, try to manifest the value of nature in the realm of human society, in a humanistic way. That means human society is continuous with nature, but still can contribute something unique to nature. At least animals lack some kind of feature in human civilization, right? And the way we can appreciate the uh, coexistence of natural objects is different from the way to appreciate the way how human beings treat each other, right? So naturalism, humanism, that's the two big chunk for Confucian metaphysics. Yeah. I'm curious as to uh, how culture uh, plays into into this scheme in that uh, I think Dr. Neville discusses culture as sort of a, a manifestation, like a, a manifestation of the humanly. Right? Yeah. So I guess my question to you is, in what way, can you make that a little bit more practical for the listener? You know, in what way um, are we manifesting the humanly when we engage in certain cultural activities? Yeah, very good question. Uh, uh, I remember at the beginning you say you also want to let me talk about whether I, uh, why I prefer the term Ruism to Confucianism. Yeah. Right? Yes. 
one major reason is the uh, is the Chinese character uh, for the so-called Confucian tradition is the Ru Ru can represents a key commitment in the Confucian tradition. What's the commitment? That is, for Confucianism, uh, the central task for Confucian practitioners is try to flourish and maintain high human civilization. That's the central task. And uh, why the tradition is so emphasized in these aspects because their appreciation of a specific social phenomenon called Li. It happens to be the same pronunciation as the Li I just mentioned, but okay. actually it's different. It's uh, usually translated as ritual or rites. Uh, the basic insight for Confucianism is, uh, you know, the way human beings are different from nature is human being has the system of ritual and rites, or civilized resources, something like this does not only include the religious ceremony, some uh, transitional ceremony, some, uh, it also refers to social etiquettes, and also political institution, and, and also technologies. That means anything you can contribute to the differentiation between human beings and the natural beings, that belongs to the realm of the ritual. That's a re really kind of like comprehensive understanding of the Li. And uh, your question is the practical, more practical suggestion from me, how to uh, kind of like practice the Confucian value well, in, in cultural context. Sorry, right? I don't mean my question to be sort of like normative in that you know yeah. we should uh, manifest this in such and such a way. Yeah. It's it's actually more uh, of analysis of, of in what ways do we yeah. do we manifest the humanly. Yeah. Um, without, uh, without really, without really knowing it, obviously we don't have the terminology yeah. in the Western yeah. world. Uh, the simplest the way to appreciate Li is uh, the civil way to argue each other. This is highly important for liberal democracy, right? What happens in last, uh, you know, election uh, last year? Uh, actually, my English is kind of like good enough to follow the debate. But what happens in the debate is just uh, so astonishing. Very often, uh, the argument is not a civil. Uh, but in order for for the for for the liberal democracy to function well, you must know how to argue each other, how to express diverse views, with the basic respect towards the human dignity of each individual, right? So the way we get educated in modern. Uh, Western University, like BU, one significant function for this education is to learn how to transform your own views from learning new knowledge and also learn how to express your own views without violating the basic civil uh, manners of human interaction and the basic equal rights for any individual to express their own view in a civil and a rational way, right? right? So this civil manners for argument is one big manifestation of the Confucian idea, the ritual propriety. Yeah, that's that's actually a wonderful thing to mention in the space that we're in because so this, this podcast is conducted out of the, the Howard Thurman Center, yeah, and that's what we really seek to practice on a, a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, in, in, in the Thurman Center and on a weekly basis we have, you know, on Fridays we have coffee and conversation where we yeah. we come together as a community of uh, usually around 40 or 50 
people and introduce some subject in a week practice, yeah. really discussing things civilly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really one of the, I mean, it is sort of what you might say the flagship program of, of, of the Thurman Center, but uh, it's something we don't think of as in this way, we don't think of it as a, as a ritual. We think of it as, well, we're going to come here and talk about such and such a thing, and I want to get my point across, and mm-hmm. I, and all this stuff. But really, uh, particularly in the setting of a university, when we come together to discuss these issues, um, you know, we often get the illusion we're changing the world tomorrow by, by having this discussion. And, and the <laughs> truth is that we're practicing, I think, uh, we're practicing how to have the discussion. Yeah. So we can go off into the world mm-hmm. and raise the level of discourse yeah so it's not as ugly as it was like you're mentioning uh, in, in yeah. the presidential yeah. uh, debates or so-called debates yeah uh, from last year yeah that's one way for the Confucian cultivation self-cultivation you must cultivate cultivate yourself to become better the one yeah. way for you to become better to learn new ideas right learn new voices if you cannot be open to these new ideas you cannot argue civilly with uh, with your colleagues, you know, it's basically, you will always remain what you are. Right. 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 I, I think, and I think the other aspect about this notion of, of, of Li as, as it's practiced and, and manifested yeah. is that in, in Eastern religions, uh, and again, it's the, you know, there's a question as to whether or not you would put Confucianism in the religion department or the yeah. philosophy department in yeah. university. But everywhere. Yeah, and, and everywhere. everywhere. Put it everywhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> But there's this question of, you know, in Eastern religions, you have obviously a, a series of rituals that are a little bit more interwoven into society. Yeah. Um, so so in, in Western tradition, it seems, and this is from yeah. a perspective of someone who doesn't, I mean, I don't study yeah. religion in a classroom, yeah. but from my perspective, the, 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 the main association with Western religions is a congregation, yeah. is a meeting house. Yeah. The church, the yeah. temple, the yeah. mosque. Yeah. Um, and in, in Eastern religions, not just Confucianism and not just yeah. Chinese religions, if you look yeah. at um, uh, uh, Indian religions, yeah. um, a lot of the, the practices uh, are seem to be woven into um, everyday life. Yeah. And you don't, you don't think of it as a congregation. So for instance, uh-huh. you know, um, if you're in India and, and you walk in and, and you walk into your ancestor's house or yeah. to, um, to your elder's house and you touch their feet, that's a ritual. Yeah. Um, but that's not, you know, in Western society, we think of that, and so that could constitute that constitutes the practice of, of a religion, or a, a, yeah. there's a spiritual reason for that. Yeah. And here, um, we kind of view it in this very sort of in this um, in this way where when you walk through the door of the church, you're being religious, and then when you walk back it back out into society, yeah. you're not. Uh, maybe you're you're trying to express the values that you learn yeah. from the Bible uh, yeah. or some other text, but but. The practice does not take itself out yeah. of the church. Yeah, that's the major reason why I, you know, I always emphasize to my friends. I don't think Confucianism is a religion mm-hmm. because the term religion is from the Western world. And uh, if you say Confucianism as a religion, it brings lots of assumptions that are attached to this term religion. And in regards to the, you know, the cultural background of the ritual. There's a wonderful Confucian uh, explanation of what is good ritual, and the term is uh, so concise. It means the original Chinese uh, phrase is li zhe li ye. Ritual is principle, the simplest translation. Ritual is principle. Or ritual is what principle consists in, 
or principle is water ritual consists. You know, they are mutual exchangeable. And as 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 I explained to you, the first pronunciation Li means pattern principle, the way things can coexist with each other harmoniously and dynamically. Right. That means a good ritual determines is determined by whether it can promote the uh, harmonization of uh, of all relevant factors in a given situation. So all the rituals that are practiced by traditional Chinese society uh, do not necessarily, you know, cannot be necessarily carried over to society today and to society elsewhere. So it makes perfect sense if a Westerner to sincerely learn the Confucian tradition, they design their own rituals, they design their own cultural expressions of some key Confucian ideas. That will be, I, I will you know, fully approve of this approach. Actually, some of my Western friends, they already practice this kind of like a new form of Confucian rituals in an uh, American uh, environment. Yeah. Um. Could you, uh, in in what way, can you provide exa an example, maybe not a specific example, or, but just what that what might that look like? Because I think when we were discussing before we started recording, right? Yeah. I think there's this. I'm obviously very invested in this uh, yeah. concept of just at least learning about Boston Confucianism and about Confucianism itself. I mean, yeah. Um, and I asked this question to Dr. Neville about the fact that, and and we mentioned this before, is that yeah. it's it seems to me that Boston Confucianism is, is this wonderful thing that is still kind of stuck at the level of uh, academics. the academics, yeah. scholarship in a classroom. And, yeah. and as you mentioned earlier, I think in the interview is that there is no con congregation, there is, yeah. no, there is no place to make it accessible yeah. to the people really. Yeah. And so what, what I'm curious about and the reason I ask for, yeah. for how your friends are, are yeah. manifesting these yeah. rituals, these new Confucian rituals in Western yeah. society is just yeah. that I um, I think that there there must be a way, and I'm not sure exactly what it is yeah. to to sort of bring down Confucianism from yeah. the ivory tower yeah. to you know to, to the street. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I administrate a, a Facebook group uh, yeah. called the Friends from Afar Confucianism Group. Yeah. It was established two years ago. Now it has more than 400 members. Yeah, and lots of them. We we speak English. We, yeah, you know. <laughs> So that's the major reason why there are many, many Westerners, including friends from America, from uh, South Af uh, South America, and also from uh, Canada, uh -huh. and also some European countries, they are there. Some friends there are quite dedicated Confucian practitioners. So if you want to ask me what's the, Confu what's the Western form to play Confucian rituals in a new cultural environment, I suggest you maybe you know, go to that group yeah. to ask those kind of people. They are really interesting people. Right. One example I'll give you is uh, one of my friends. Uh, please allow me not to mention his name. Yeah, the way he plays the sacrificial ritual to his ancestors is go to, you know, uh, he lives in, in America and uh, his house and his workplace, uh, you know, is separated from each other by been driving about two hours. Mm. But his ancestor grieve is on the middle point. So when he go back from the, his workplace, and sometimes he go to his ancestor's grave and... Uh, 
he does not sacrifice any concrete things, but he just want to meditate, to be silent, to you know, to ponder uh, his own life in this basic setting, and show respect to his ancestors. And according to my understanding, that's his his way. You know, make his uh, make him comfortable to play a Confucian value laden ritual in American context. And not everybody can do that, right? Uh, and uh, this requires a particularly Western background mm -hmm. to facilitate this new uh, absorption of of these Confucian rituals. But uh, people can do this experimentation. And uh, uh, one thing to guarantee its authenticity is they are open to talk, discuss this kind of new rituals with their fellow Confucianists, fellow Ruist. We call it Ru. So we can discuss whether you know. The way you play it out is really can, in a certain degree, uh, connects to the traditional Confucian rituals in the traditional uh, East Asian society. Yeah, right. I, I, uh, there's so so much here I have in my note sheet that I want to get to. I know we're kind of coming towards the end of our time here, but uh -huh. I, I want to finish on well, two questions if you'll permit me. Yeah. Um, so so the first is I think if you could elaborate for a minute on, I know you mentioned it a minute ago, but why. It's important to you that it's called Ruism yeah. uh, rather than Confucianism. Yeah. Uh, and then the second point is is on the basis of one of the articles you wrote, uh, which is the the relationship to the state of yeah. an individual. Uh, yeah. You say it should be it should be like a relationship of friendship. It yeah. should be the model for the for the state citizen relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you can elaborate first on on. Why it's important called be, be called Ruism, yeah. and the second second point is yeah. the relation, the friendship relationship, or the friendship model for the relationship between the state and the citizen. Yeah, very good. The first uh, answer is why I prefer Ruism to Confucianism. Very simple. Confucianism is a misnomer given by the early Christian missionaries to name an alien tradition to Christianity in a Christian way. Mm -hmm. So in 16th and uh, 17th century, Jesuit missionary go to China, and then in 19th and 20th centuries, the Protestant missionaries go to China. So one big, you know, the major purpose is to convert Chinese people. But in order to convert, they must know and understand the traditional Chinese culture, right? Yeah. So the thing, the name of the tradition, Confucianism, is just so speaking to their own understanding of religion, mm -hmm. right? For Christianity, Jesus is the central finger. It's the son of God. And all the followers just follow his teaching, try to be Christian-like, Christ-like, mm -hmm. right? So one central finger, define the tradition, everybody follows. That's their assumption of what a religion looks like. Right. Use their Christian understanding of religion. They try to map out what happens in the traditional Confucian tradition. They think Confucius, wow, that's a founder, right? And then mm -hmm. all the followers in the tradition just follow this founder. Right. But this is not true. Confucius is not a deity. He is a teacher. Confucius, if you open the Analects, there's a very famous verse. It calls, when the cause of humanness is at stake, you do not yield to your own teacher. Right? Humanness is the ideal. That means if something really important to you, follow your own way. Do not follow me. That means critical scholarly thinking is just underpinning value for the entire the so-called Confucian tradition. So this does not comply with the... Uh, uh, Christian missionaries' assumption of what religion looks like. And on the other hand, if you look at, check out the entire history, how the so-called Confucian tradition identified themselves, they never identified themselves as kind of like Confucius, uh, 
followers, something like this.、Mm -hmm. They use the specific Chinese character Ru to identify themselves. They call themselves Ru Zhe, means a person of Ru, and they call the school Ru Jia, a school of Ru, and they call the teaching of the tradition as Ru Jiao, the teaching of Ru. So Ru is kind of central character to identify. Confucianism from the other schools of、uh, traditional Chinese culture, right? So why Ruism? Because that's the way. <laughs> that's the way Confucianists always identified themselves. That's、yeah. the accurate way. And, and it also, I mean, I think that's interesting because it broadens、uh, the perspective of, of of what the core texts are.、Um, yeah. You know, if if you're thinking of it specifically through the frame of Confucianism, actually,、yeah. in 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 my approach of of Confucianism, yeah,、um, very constraining. So you must read the end of the excerpt、right. first, right? Right, right. You know, you, you go original teaching. Yeah,、like、you go,、this. you go. Oh, this is you know,、yeah. this is the gospel. You yeah, know? This yeah. Is, this no, is, this is you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John.、No. Of, you know,、no. and so you go straight to the analects and you say, I have to listen to what the master said. But、yeah. then. Uh, you know, if you if you understand it as Ruism, you might、yeah. look to、yeah. uh, some of the later writers. I think, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Mencius, Mencius, Zhu Xi, Wang Yaoming. There's a long lineage yeah, long, of Confucian、right. masters. But on the other hand, one big benefit for use the character Ru is you also understand the idea of the of the tradition.、Right. Ru has distinct meanings. One means being soft. The other means moistening, and all this just to contribute. You know, the idea for the Confucian tradition is harmony, social、right. harmony, and the cosmic harmony. So that means if you use the term Confucianism, it does not only speak to your ignorance of Chinese history;、yeah. it also see your ignorance of Chinese philosophy. Yeah. Right. So that's the major reason I prefer the term Ruism. Right, and then and, just. The last question.、Uh, just、here. one last、no. comment about、right. Ru.、Oh, yeah. One interesting thing is uh, uh, Ru does not on, only mean in the Chinese context a Confucianist. It also means a cultured and a knowledgeable person, a virtuous and knowledgeable person. That means even if you does you do not know Confucius at all, you can still use the Chinese character Ru to describe a cultured, civilized, and a virtuous person. You know when、uh, Maturichi, the first Jesuit missionary, go to China, he call him because he learn enough of Chinese characters, and he is a brilliant translators and writers using Chinese. He call himself Xiru, a Ru from the West. Why、wow. he can call this? Because he think himself is cultured enough to be called a Ru, right? Yeah. So, so, so it's a very exciting point because that means Confucianism is not. Uh, how can I use the English term?、Uh, it's not a segregationist, some,、uh -huh. something like this. Yeah, you know. It, it, let, let me paraphrase and see if、yeah. I'm getting you right. Is that、yeah. that、uh, to be Ru?、Uh, yeah. To is it would it be to be or to have Ru?、Uh, would be essentially to be cultured and virtuous, regardless of what it is you derive your virtue from. What, what,、oh, what from regardless of from what you say. Definitely, like Kobe. You know,、yeah. if you can learn enough, be a good student in Boston University, you are a young Ru from Boston University <laughs> without、yeah. any doubt. Right. Yeah, that's right. the last comment of my th、yeah. about the first question. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for that. That's a that's actually a wonderful perspective. And、um, then, <laughs> then I guess this this last question is、yeah. is the relationship. Um, between the individual and the state,、yeah. uh, which you say is you derive from, the there are, there are five cardinal relationships、yeah. that Mencius talks about, among which、uh, there's the citizen-state relationship, 
but you say that more important, there's the friendship relationship, yeah. which is the model for the citizen-state yeah. relationship. And I, I want to kind of delve into that and just ask yeah. you what, what you mean by that and what that looks like. Wow, that's, uh, that's, that speaks to the heart of Confucian political philosophy. Mm-hmm. One big misunderstanding of common, common people to the Confucian tradition is that Confucianism represents some kind of authoritarian governmental skills. If you are Confucian, that means you support an authoritarian or totalitarian government. But this is not true. If you uh, uh, see how Confucianism derives itself from its original historical context, Confucius is a big educator. He opens the first private school to all kinds of peoples. Originally, before Confucius, there's no private school for China. That means all the educational resource is monopolized by the central government. Commoners have no access to education. But Confucius, why he is so respected by all Chinese people, he is the first teacher to open a private school. What's his purpose of this private school? It's one to educate the people to pursue politics, to be a good government officials. At Confucius' time, there's a big time social chaos. The central government's authority has collapsed. That means different local states, they need some new blood. They want some trained, uh, able governmental officials. So the ideal for Confucian uh, scholars is they can be on a par, on a par with the rulers to give advice, to, to provide expertise, to help rulers to govern their states. That's the central purpose of Confucius' private school. So on two levels, on the first level, every student in the Confucius' private school, they are friends to each other. They are equal, right? They continue to learn with each other, study with each other. They try to provide advice to transform the characters of their fellow students, right? They are friends. And uh, on the other hand, they want to uh, uh, transmit this ideal of human relationship defined as equal friendship to the relationship between ruler and ministers. Because ministers, they will be taken over by these Confucius students. Actually, several of Confucius students are quite famous high governmental officials at that time. So the idea is rulers should treat scholars equally. Power must yield to wisdom. And then the ruler can govern, can harmonize their own society in an ideal way, right? That means friendship is kind of a common denominator for the relationship between fellow students and between minister and rulers. This is a distinct, I call this, it's a combination between meritocracy and democracy, right? right. Democracy means for the high, high governmental officials, whether you can take the position is determined by your merits, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of your pedigree, your family background. Mm-hmm. Very poor guy, as long as they are educated enough, they can be appointed to high governmental officials. That's democracy, right? right? But on the other hand, they must have merits. So that's meritocratic democracy. That's the idea of Confucian politics. It's a slightly different from the liberal democracy, right? right? But it still has a very strong democratic dimension there. Right. Yeah. I, I think... I mean, I think this is a wonderful way to wrap up the episode is just yep. um, we had this discussion with Dr. Neville, and one of the points that I raised to him is that the value I see in, in Confucius, uh, Confucianism's or Ruism's bent towards p- 
political philosophy because mm-hmm. it, it really was conceived at a time of political chaos in China. Yeah. And it was, it was conceived to redress this issue. Mm. And the thing that I, I find wonderful about it is that in America we have this, and in the West we have this great reliance on, on laws mm-hmm. um, constraining our yeah. public officials. And I think what we're discovering now is that what, what constrains, our, our constrains our public officials, mm-hmm. what gives us a good government, yeah. is virtuous leaders. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the value that I see in, in, in Confucianism as, as adapted to the West, maybe perhaps through Boston Confucianism. Yeah. And, and I think if we could work to eventually get this uh, you know, out of the ivory tower and onto the street, we might oh, be... Oh, yeah, uh, that would be wonderful. You will be a big <laughs> block for this big project. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't... I, we're really appreciative and, okay. and for your wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Thank you.